started out last week uh, the message by asking how many of you really like to be engaged in a good debate, Uh, and some of you admitted that you do. Uh, But it's also true that for most of us, when when there's like a debate, an argument uh, going on around us, that, that causes kind of this unsettling feeling of tension, doesn't it? I mean, people often note that, that when parents argue with each other, oftentimes kids will just start crying because they're not sure how to handle that kind of tension. When there's tension at a family gathering or in the church, people feel it, and it's an unsettling kind of feeling. Well, there was an unsettled feeling in the church in Antioch because just as the gospel was spreading and the church was being built up, there was also this unsettling feeling because a debate was also spreading. And a teaching had spread from the regions of Jerusalem, Judea, out to the ends of the earth uh, at that time, as many people were hearing a teaching that seemed to conflict with what Paul and the other apostles had taught them. They were kind of concerned, I think probably quite concerned, wondering if they had done it all wrong. But This caused, this debate caused the leaders to gather together, not just there in Antioch, but to gather together with other leaders in Jerusalem for a council to to discuss this really important question, basically, who can be saved and how are they saved? Do the Gentiles, in order for them to get saved, do they kind of have to become Jewish first and then get saved? And if they didn't become Jewish first, if they didn't get circumcised and follow the law, are they really saved? So big questions for the church to talk about. And thankfully, as we saw last week in Acts 15, 1 through 21, there was agreement, widespread agreement amongst the leaders of the church, and they came to a verdict and made a decision. But that decision was made in Jerusalem, and there wasn't an easy way to communicate that out to the churches. And it was a decision that was going to affect all sorts of churches. So the word needed to get from Jerusalem about what did we decide about this important debate, And that word needed to get out from Jerusalem and go to these other cities and the other churches. So today we're going to see how that verdict, clearly communicated by the church to the church, affected the church. And along the way, we'll consider some timely application for our church and end by rejoicing in the sufficiency of Jesus' work by taking communion together. So that's that's the plan. After I preach, we're going to actually sing a song to help prepare us for communion as well uh, before we take that. But when we left off, James was sharing his judgment or verdict on the important debate of who can be saved and how. So that's where we left off last week. We're going to pick it up where we left off now in Acts chapter 15, verse 22. And if you're able to, would you stand as we read the Word of God? I'll begin uh, by praying, Father... Thank you that you have deposited your Holy Spirit in each of us who believe. That at the moment of conversion we were were, uh, indwelt by the Holy Spirit and your Holy Spirit who does so much. We ask that your Holy Spirit now would do the work of, of illuminating, shining a light not just on the scriptures but shining a light on our hearts that you might be doing the work of preparing us, of convicting us of sin, and of again repenting and, and trusting in the sufficiency of Jesus' work. Would you accomplish 
your work through your spirit to build up your church for your glory now. In Jesus' name, amen. So Acts chapter 15, beginning in verse 22, God's word says this, Then it seemed good to the apostles and the elders with the whole church to choose men from among them and send them to Antioch with Paul and Barnabas. So they sent Judas, called Barsabbas, and Silas, leading men among the brothers with the following letter. The brothers, both the apostles and the elders, to the brothers, who are of the Gentiles in Antioch and Syria and Cilicia, greetings. Since we have heard that some persons have gone out from us and troubled you with words unsettling your minds, although we gave them no instructions, it has seemed good to us, having come to one accord, to choose men and send them to you with our beloved Barnabas and Paul, men who have risked their lives for the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. We have therefore sent Judas and Silas, who themselves will tell you the same things by word of mouth. For it has seemed good to the Holy Spirit and to us to lay on you no greater burden than these requirements, that you abstain from what has been sacrificed to idols, and from blood, and from what has been strangled, and from sexual immorality. If you keep yourselves from these, you will do well. Farewell. So, when they were sent off, they went down to Antioch, and having gathered the congregation together, they delivered the letter. And when they had read it, they rejoiced because of its encouragement. And Judas and Silas, who were themselves prophets, encouraged and strengthened the brothers with many words. And after they had spent some time, they were sent off in peace by the brothers to those who had sent them. But Paul and Barnabas remained in Antioch, teaching and preaching the word of the Lord with many others also. Amen. You can be seated. So, uh, the printer still worked this week. Um, And so we do have sermon notes and a life group guide for you. And I did make some great slides, I think, that would have been helpful in helping us see uh, what I'm pointing out here. Uh, But the only person that can see him right now is Bo. So so he can enjoy that and everybody else can uh, sit and look at paper. And hopefully what you're mostly looking at is your Bible. Um, We just kind of walk through the Bible each week. Verse by verse, we don't want to skip anything. We think all of it is breathed out by God and useful for teaching, reproof, correction, and training in righteousness. So, like I said, when we left off, the verdict had been reached there in the council in Jerusalem, but it really needed to be shared with other people outside of Jerusalem. So that's the part that we're looking at today. Remember that the believers in Antioch would have felt quite unsettled by this news that had come to them, basically the news to the Gentiles was, hey, you didn't do it right. You're not saved, right? You were supposed to get circumcised and keep the law of Moses, and then you could get saved. You're supposed to kind of get everything cleaned up and do the right religious things, and then you could be one of us, kind of, right? But that's not the message of the gospel, The message of the gospel is that God saves all kinds of people in only one way. By God's grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. That was the verdict, but now that verdict needs to be shared. So, verse 22, which is what we're starting with this week, says, Then it seemed good to the apostles and the elders with the whole church. Now this phrase, you're going to notice this come up a few times. It seemed good to them. Okay, So so they are agreeing together, hey, you know what would be a good next step? And it seemed good to them, to the apostles and the elders with the whole church, to choose men from among them and send them to Antioch with Paul and Barnabas. And so they sent Judas, called Barsabbas, and Silas, 
leading men among the brothers with the following letter. So just like we would probably do, if there's really important, sensitive information that needs to get out to people, and we need to clearly communicate it, it's better if it comes in a couple of different forms, right? And so it's better if it's going to come in a written form, and even better if it's potentially controversial, maybe it should probably also come personally, right? We've probably learned, maybe by experience and by mistake, like if it's going to be a potentially controversial matter, maybe an email or Facebook is not the best way to address it, right? It's probably better to address that personally. And so that's what they choose to do. They can't send an email. I think they were having tech issues or something too. They couldn't send an email. So they send a letter, but they send a letter with some leaders, okay? So it's letters a letter and leaders are being sent out from Jerusalem to communicate clearly what had been decided in Jerusalem. Now, in verses, the middle of 23 there and following, we have the content of the letter. Let's look at the end of verse 23 first. It says, The brothers, both the apostles and the elders, to the brothers who are of the Gentiles in Antioch and Syria and Cilicia, greetings. I want you to notice something about just even the way the letter is addressed. Do you notice the emphasis on kind of family unity, even right there in the letter? You know how it started? To the brothers, from the brothers. Okay? We're, we're family. So, so it's not the, the people kind of overseeing you and telling you what to do over in Jerusalem, to you underlings out there in Antioch. No, it is from the brothers to the brothers. It's a family correspondence that's happening here. Verse 24, since we have heard that some persons have gone out from us and troubled you with words, unsettling your minds, although we gave them no instructions. Okay, So word has reached them in Jerusalem. Here's the problem. The problem is that some people have come from Jerusalem and Judea and they've been preaching something other than the gospel that you need to do this, this, and this in order to be saved. And what effect has that had on the believers, especially the Gentile believers there in Antioch and in the surrounding area? Well, it troubled them and it unsettled their minds. Did you see that there in the passage? It's troubled them. And so I looked up what these two words mean because it was originally written in Greek and translation is tricky sometimes. Troubled just means to agitate like your washing machine does. It's kind of like rubs everything up, right? So these people have been been kind of agitated or mental confusion or emotional turbulence. You felt that before? Maybe some of you came in today feeling troubled, just kind of like like inside stuff just ain't right, right? So, so, So that's how the people there were feeling. In fact, it says unsettling your minds. And this word was even more interesting to look up unsettling your mind. See, what had been happening there in Antioch is these were really pretty new believers, right? They had heard the gospel of Jesus Christ, and they've just kind of been learning. They've been coming, many of them, out of kind of a Gentile pagan lifestyle, and they're just learning all of this kind of for the first time. They're just starting to grow. They're, they're being raised up. The church is being built up there in Antioch. You know what unsettled means? The the translation for, in the ESV at least, is unsettling their minds. It literally means to tear down that which has been built up. Okay? So the church, which was being built up in that place, has now been kind of 
torn down by this debate and division and teaching. It was unsettling. I mean, can you imagine being, I mean, you're new at this. And like these guys that are coming from Judea and Jerusalem, they know their Bible. You've probably never touched, you know, like you've never even heard of any of it until like two years ago maybe. You're a brand new believer and all of a sudden these guys who maybe, you know, wear different clothing than you and they know way more than you do, they're telling you you did it wrong and you're not really saved. Like, well, who are you going to believe, right? Of course that's going to be unsettling. The church that had been built up and encouraged is now feeling kind of unsettled and troubled, agitated. So I'm grateful that there's a letter that's going to clear some stuff up. Okay, so what does the letter say? That's what we see in verses 25 to 29. The unsettled people are now going to become settled with some clarifying words from the church leaders. Let's look at verses 25 to 27 first. It has seemed good to us. There's that phrase again. It has seemed good to us, having come to one accord, to choose men and send them to you with our beloved Barnabas and Paul. Men who have risked their lives for the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, we have therefore sent Judas and Silas, who themselves will tell you the same things by word of mouth. So Barnabas and Paul, you might remember, started and ended their first missionary journey there in Antioch. The believers knew them well. They had remained there some time before going to this council in Jerusalem. So they're headed back, Paul and Barnabas. They're pretty well known there in Antioch. And along with them, they're sending a couple of other guys, Silas, who we're going to hear more about later, and Judas, who we never hear anything else about again. But they're sent along with Paul, Barnabas. So we've got four leaders, Paul, Barnabas, Judas, Silas, along with a letter that is going to them because it seemed good. The, the church leaders agreed that this would be a good thing. They send leaders, they send a letter, and now the verdict, which is probably what the people there have been waiting to hear, the verdict is in verses 28 and 29. For it has seemed good. There's that phrase again. It has seemed good, now not only to them, but to the Holy Spirit and to us, to lay on you no greater burden than these requirements. Okay? Now, you might recall that they had made a decision at the council in chapter 15, verses 19 through 21. That was James laying out the verdict. And Pastor Nick and I spent some time this week looking at this passage, and we we looked and made some comparisons. What was the verdict that they talked about in Jerusalem, and what made it into the letter? And it matches up actually pretty well, with one, I think, difference. The, The four requirements that they write in the letter are the same as the four requirements that they had listed uh, when James was talking at the council. Three of them were kind of related to lifestyle choices. And remember, the reason for those was because there are Jewish people living around you and you need to be sensitive to them. They're going to be offended if you're eating uh, you know, meat sacrificed to idols, if you're eating blood, something that's been strangled. They, they've never done that, and it makes them really uncomfortable. So I know that's not a big deal anymore, but can you not do that in order to love these people? Both your brothers and the unsaved ones, right? That's what verse 21 laid out at the end of the verdict. But here... Those three things show up in the list, along with this abstain from sexual immorality, because it would have been normal for a pagan Gentile living in that region to to live in a sexually immoral way, and now that they are in Christ, they're supposed to live in a different way, 
right? So the message, remember, wasn't get cleaned up and then you can be saved, but it's now that you're saved, there's some work that needs to be done. We don't live the way that everybody else lives and the way that you used to live. The difference, though, was uh, verse 21, the, the reason was, let me go back and just read it, verse 21 For from ancient generations Moses has had in every city those who proclaim him, for he has read every Sabbath in the synagogues. Okay, So so a summary of that uh, reasoning would be, you need to not do these things anymore because there's Jewish people all around you. Right? But then when they actually write the letter, they don't say that. Look at at verse, uh, well, the end of verse 29. If you keep yourselves from these, you will do well farewell. So they didn't really give the reason as clearly as they said at the council when they wrote the letter, but certainly remember that the letter is being sent along with leaders. So when questions are asked, well, why, you know, somebody's going to ask the question, wait, why can't we eat like medium rare steak? What, like, why can, why can we not do that? And of course, the leaders who were there at the council would be able to communicate with them. Oh, That's because of the Jewish people all around us. We want to be sensitive to our brothers in Christ and sensitive to those who we still want to reach with the gospel, right? All right, so there's the content of the letter. It seems like the debate has been settled. I mean, just think about what's happened. This is is kind of neat. The apostles were sent out, and they go to Antioch and the surrounding regions. They preach the gospel. The gospel has been heard. The gospel has been believed. We now have new family members within the family of God, Gentiles adopted in, but when they were told, you skipped some steps, they were unsettled. And the church leaders cared enough about this teaching that they went away to Jerusalem to gather together and make a decision. And now that this decision has been made, they've sought to make that decision clear, clearly communicating through a letter and through some leaders to the churches there. No, you're fine. We, we, we shouldn't have troubled you. We didn't send those people, right? They're not preaching the gospel. And so, so the gospel is again proclaimed and reiterated to the people there. And what is going to be the result? We'll look at that here in a second. But I'm grateful, again, for the outcome. I'm grateful that the decision was, let's not, let's not add steps to be saved, but let's make it clear, now that you're saved, you're going to live in a different way. Okay? That was the two things we really hit on last week. And that's the two things we see in the letter as well. But before we get to the response of the people in this letter, I just want to pause, because I think the way this has all been handled... Okay, the, the way the church decided to handle this is maybe uh, instructive. Uh, it's certainly descriptive of the way they handled it. But, but I think we can also learn something from it. And I think there's a current situation within our church and denomination that I find this to be kind of timely because there's actually even an announcement in the bulletin about it, something elders have been talking about for some time. Here, well, on the screen, there would have been a lot of helpful stuff, uh, but here, here's the deal. Our, our church is a part of a denomination. There's non-denominational churches, and there's churches a part of a denomination. Uh, here, here's what we say. We call ourselves, and as the EFCA says, we are an association and fellowship of two important words, autonomous and interdependent churches united around the same statement of faith. Okay? 
So we're autonomous. That is, every local church makes its own decisions, but we're also interdependent. We know we need each other and we work better when we're together, united around the same statement of faith. And there are, within evangelicalism, some often debated topics. And the EFCA, on a number of those often debated and debatable topics within evangelicalism, have chosen to remain silent and not, not unintentionally or intentionally exclude people who believe every single thing in our statement of faith except for maybe one word. And there was one word that had tripped up a number of people over a number of years in our statement of faith. The church had boiled, the denomination had boiled down everything we say like this. If you want to be a member of our church, if you want to be a pastor in one of our churches, this is what we agree together on. Ten core statements that we call our statement of faith. But this one word that was tripping some people up was one word in Article 9 of our statement of faith that refers to, it would have been up on the screen, I didn't even put it in my notes, so I don't know exactly, I can't quote it word for word, but Article 9 of our statement of faith, referring to the second coming or the return of Jesus, used a word that, that described the order of events around the coming of Jesus. They used the word premillennial. So that's one particular understanding of the order of events around the second coming of Jesus. There are a number of people who would agree with every single thing in all ten articles of the EFCA statement of faith except that one word. And because over time the EFCA has said we're we're going to keep central the issues that are central to the gospel and we're not going to divide or exclude people over issues that are debated and debatable within evangelical Christianity, they made a decision, and this was communicated for like, months, uh, we, you know, all these different kind of meetings and opportunities to communicate. But eventually, a, a group of people, and it's not just some high, it's like members of EFCA churches who gathered together in Chicago. So they didn't get to go to Jerusalem. They just went to Chicago for a conference in 2019 and made the decision to change that word from premillennial to glorious which is extremely true biblically, right? That the return of Jesus is going to be a glorious thing, okay? So, so that's the decision that was made at that level, but because we're autonomous, every church didn't have to go along with it. We could say, no, we're still hanging on to the old statement of faith. As a church so far, we haven't made a decision. We were having discussions about it as elders when the pandemic hit and then all of the attention kind of went on other things, right? And so... We are now getting around to saying, hey, we got we to bring this before our church. And the elders have agreed that we want to adopt, because churches can choose either to adopt uh, the, the updated statement of faith or keep uh, the wording of the old statement of faith. We've, we've made a decision. We want to recommend to the church, the members of the church, that we adopt this updated statement of faith. So in the bulletin, uh, It mentions that members of the church will be getting a letter uh, kind of laying that out because it requires a change to our constitution because the statement of faith is included in our church constitution. So we're asking the church, can we change a a word uh, in that? Uh, And so officially that will happen when the church gathers together for our uh, quarterly business meeting two weeks from today after the worship service. Okay, So we're going to kind of make that initial proposal and then... On the last, uh, sorry, November 21st and December 5th, we are going to have at 9 o'clock during the Sunday school hour a discussion about 
why, kind of what are the differences? Like, I don't even understand those words, you know? Uh, or uh, or a, a discussion of why we're recommending this. And then in our January annual business meeting, the members of the church will vote uh, on whether or not to adopt that uh, change. Okay? Whew. That was just like a long explanation. Like I said, the slides might have been more helpful in kind of keeping you, keep, keeping you on track with that. But, but I share that because I see a couple of parallels with what we were just looking at here in Acts chapter 15. Just like the first century church, what I loved about the decision that was made there in Jerusalem is it was a decision made to keep the gospel central and not to exclude some people, right? There were some people that wanted to exclude the Gentiles because they didn't quite do everything right, but they believed the same gospel that they believed and they were in. And so... so Similarly, I'm grateful that our church, desiring to kind of keep the gospel central and to have unity within the church and among other churches, is moving in this direction or recommending moving in this direction. Also, just like the decision of the leaders who gathered in Jerusalem was clearly communicated to the churches, like I mentioned, there was all sorts of clear communication, and we want to be clear with you. That's why I took a whole bunch of time in this sermon to be clear with you, and you're getting a letter if you're a member. We're going to have a meeting in October. We're going to have two classes in November and December. We're going to vote again in January. We want to clearly communicate any of these changes because they're important. We want to clearly communicate with you. And then also, just as Jewish believers, this is important, if you were a Jewish believer, now, now a follower of Jesus, and you wanted to continue to circumcise your sons, you could do that, right? They weren't saved, but you just couldn't tell everybody else, you have to do it too, if you want to be saved, right? Same thing, if you have a premillennial understanding of the order of events around the return of Jesus, you can t- continue to hold on to that, right? Uh, but you can't we're, we're, we're proposing that we can't say you can't be a member of our church if you don't agree with me on that. Does that make sense? All right. For some of you, that was exciting. For some of you, like you just checked out and thought about lunch for a while. Um, that's fine. Come back. Um, I'm grateful uh, that we want to communicate the gospel. I'm grateful that we want to make that central. I'm grateful that we care about the unity of the church. I'm grateful that that's what was happening here in the first century in Acts chapter 15. Now, I said we'd get to the results. What, what's the result? Decision made, clearly communicated with the church. How is the church there going to respond? Remember, they had been unsettled. What's the response going to be? Let's look at verse 30. So when they were sent off, they went down to Antioch, and having gathered the congregation together, they delivered the letter. All right, how's it going to go? Verse 31. And when they had read it, they rejoiced because of its encouragement. (laughs) We joked in our life group that maybe the men rejoiced more than the women. You don't have to be circumcised in order to be saved, right? Uh, So there's, there's great rejoicing amongst the church as they hear this good news, right? Praise the Lord. We thought these people were telling us, unsettling our minds, trying to get us to think that maybe we're not saved because we didn't do it the right way. Praise the Lord, we have been saved by God's grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. Imagine the relief for these new believers. I don't get to be kicked out of the church for not becoming Jewish before becoming Christian. And now it's time for the previously unsettled church who now 
feel a little more settled, a little less troubled to just get on with their mission. Okay? So verses 32 through 35. And Judas and Silas, who were themselves prophets, encouraged and strengthened the brothers with many words. After they had been kind of torn down and broken apart, they just need to be encouraged and built up. And Judas and Silas, who have been given by God this gift of prophecy, they're prophets, they just go and they do that work, using their gift to build up the body for the glory of Jesus. Verse 33, and after they had spent some time, they were sent off in peace. Isn't that a good word? They were sent off in peace. The place that had previously kind of experienced trouble, now it's a place of peace. They're sending them off in peace by the brothers to those who had sent them. But Paul and Barnabas remained in Antioch, teaching and preaching the word of the Lord with many others also. This is just good news. Like this is just, man... That could have not gone well. An unsettled church, torn apart by debate, is now being rebuilt because some leaders love them enough to gather together, settle the matter with a gospel-centered verdict, and then clearly communicate it to them and stick around and pastor them through it. I love that. Sometimes, listen, sometimes the church doesn't handle debate and tension well. Sometimes, the leaders fail. Some of you have been hurt when this happens. But by God's grace, sometimes the leaders do okay. And God is gracious to His church. And the church presses on. And the gospel is preached. And disciples are made. And Jesus just keeps fulfilling His promise to build His church. Praise God for that. That's what happened here in Acts chapter 15. I want to close and lead us into preparation for communion with one final application point, and that's this, all that is required. All that is required. I'm grateful that the church leaders kind of wisely boiled it all down. Here's, here's what's required of you. And we already kind of covered this last week. That's why I'm going over it really quick this time. Number one, what's required for Christian living in unity on mission is repentance and love for one another. In the first century church, they were told, abstain from sexual immorality. Don't live like you used to live. They were told to abstain from things offensive to Jews. Love your brothers and sisters enough to give up your freedoms for their good. And then, today, I think the message would be the same. Let's not live like we used to live. If you have been saved, then live like a Christian. Sexual immorality is the way the world around us lives. That's not the way we want to live anymore now that we are saved. There are ways that we can live that cause others to stumble. Don't do it because we love other people, right? So same message as last week, but the second part of it is what I want to focus on to close. That is, all that's required for salvation is what Christ has done. The sufficiency of the work of Jesus is good, good news. In our Free Church 101 class this morning, we went over one article from our EFCA Statement of Faith. It shares this good news, two sentences only. We believe that Jesus Christ, as our representative and substitute, shed his blood on the cross as the perfect, all-sufficient sacrifice for our sins. His atoning death and victorious resurrection constitute the only ground for salvation. 
It's good news. Like, you're, you're not going to get saved because you're working harder and trying more. Right? You're not going to get saved in any other way than the shed blood of Jesus who is the perfect, all-sufficient sacrifice for our sins. Last week, the way Peter said it when he was talking at the council in verse 9, he talked about our hearts being cleansed. How? How do you get a heart cleansed? You get circumcised and follow the law of Moses? No, he said our hearts are cleansed by faith in verse 9. And then in verse 11, he talked about it coming by grace alone. Earlier in the worship service, Pastor Nick read our memory verse for the week from Titus chapter 3. But when the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared, He saved us not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to His own mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom He poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ our Savior. So, if you get anything else, if you look, maybe you tuned out for that whole part about our change in our statement of faith and how, how kind of church has to work as we figure some things out together, just get this. Jesus has done all that is required. Hallelujah. Right? Let's pray. Father, I thank you for that good news. I thank you for the good news that, that your goodness and loving kindness, you God who are our Savior, sent Jesus, your Son, to do the work that we have failed to do, to be our representative and our substitute to die in our place for our sin we're grateful and as we now prepare our hearts for communion through singing a song would you help us to see our sin and would you help us to see jesus in his name we pray amen